This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. Some time back on this show, we interviewed author and prosecutor Vincent Bugliosi about his provocatively titled book, The Prosecution of George W. Bush for Murder. Lawyer Charlotte Danette tried to take up Mr. Bugliosi on that proposal and ran in the state of Vermont for attorney general. Her campaign platform was that she would appoint Vince Bugliosi as a special prosecutor and go after the former administration for their lying about the war in Iraq. She did not win, but she has an interesting story to tell, and we'll talk to her a bit about that in our second segment today. We're also hoping to bring on Matt Renner of Truthout.org. Whether we get to Matt today or not, I'm not sure, but uh, we will bring him on soon. But otherwise, today we're going to play catch-up, as we need to do on this program every so often, because we just have so much material that we just can't get to it every week. Truthfully, we can't get to it any week. So we pick and choose, dear listener, trying to decide what it is that will leave you the most uh, informed and amused. And, uh, and without much further ado, let us commence this program as we like to do with On This Date in History. We should start by noting that uh, although it actually took place on March 19th of last week, this week marks off the seventh anniversary of the fiasco known as the War in Iraq. But to focus on our exact date, which in this case is the 25th of March, we would note that it was on this date in 1616 that William Shaxper of Stratford-on-Avon shakily signed his will, which turned over his property to the male heirs of his eldest daughter and bequeathed to his wife his second best bed. We believe this guy was not the author, William Shakespeare. And we refer you to our archives for our interview with Mark Anderson, on that topic, March 25th in 1655, the Dutch astronomer, physicist, and mathematician Christian Huygens discovered Titan, the largest satellite of Saturn. Great article about Titan in the current Scientific American. We'll talk a bit about that uh, later. Turns out, surprisingly, in many respects, it's the most Earth-like place in the solar system. But a hell of a lot colder. On this date in 1911, a one-hour blaze killed 146 garment workers, mostly young female immigrants, at the Triangle Shirtwaist Company in New York City. The tragedy galvanized the American public to press for factory reforms. On this date in 1941, Yugoslavia rolled the dice and decided to cast its, uh, its lot in World War II with the fascists. That didn't pan out so well. And on March 25th of 1954, the Soviet Union granted, quote, full sovereignty, unquote, to East Germany and announced the end of its occupation, but did add that Soviet troops will remain in the country for security reasons. Our quote of the day comes from C. Northcote Parkinson, who once said, delay is the deadliest form of denial. Our quote of the day comes from something we heard on NPR, Apparently in a recent debate between Meg Whitman and Steve Poisner, Whitman quoted NPR. When Poisner got his chance, he said, well, first of all, Meg, I don't listen to NPR. So all we can figure from that is he must be proud of the fact that he's a jackass. 
NPR, for its, for its part, by the way, tried to contact him to ask him why that was and got no response. All right, our jokes of the day. We got a few uh, one-liners here from late-night TV personalities, starting with David Letterman. New York City has filled two million potholes. The bad news is they were the only things slowing down the Toyotas. Said Jay Leno, You know, I was thinking about this health care problem. If you took all the money the Republicans have spent trying to stop health care and all the money the Democrats have spent trying to get health care, we could afford health care. And finally, Jimmy Fallon said, There's a new technique that lets doctors perform kidney transplants in 45 minutes. Because let's face it, when you're getting a kidney transplant, your main concern is always, how long is this going to take? Can you do this in less than an hour? Our stat of the day comes from the special pullout section of the Sacramento Bee, related to an agricultural exhibit, which noted that our top commodity for export in this state is almonds. We produce 75% of the world's almond supply and more than 99% of U.S. almonds. Of course, I guess I shouldn't be surprised by that after seeing the, the sheer number of almond trees in that trip to Fresno last week. But it turns out our top exports are almonds, dairy products, wine, table grapes, and cotton. Whereas our top imports are coffee, number two, bananas, number three, other fresh fruit, number four, raw beet and cane sugar, and number five, processed fruits and vegetables. So just to think about agricultural products, you know, and Realize that California can produce other thing, things other than strip malls. All right, let's do the good, the bad, and the ugly. Good week last week for the Communist Party of the People's Republic of China when they announced they will toughen requirements for reporters by launching a new certification system that requires training in Marxist and communist theories of news. The deputy director of the General Administration of Press and Publication, Li Dong Dong, said this was necessary because of problems with the current crop of mainland journalists. Apparently some reporters have run afoul of the government for reporting accurately on stories that officials didn't want publicized. And I'm quite certain that Marxist theory will fix that problem. And uh, apparently it was a bad week last week for a life of crime when it was revealed that a female robber in Riverside, California held up a store with 11 customers. She managed to get away with six dollars. And if that isn't a sign that the economy's still in trouble, I don't know what is. And finally, it was an ugly week last week for the Internal Revenue Service, an, an item that we think may have been uh, first reported by Bob Shallot in the inside business section of the Sacramento Bee. The IRS came to Sacramento, came to Harv's Metro Car Wash in Midtown, and demanded payment of delinquent taxes. Owner Aaron Zeff said the IRS agents were deadly serious, very aggressive, and very condescending. The odd part of the story, the debt owed from 2006, four cents. But apparently the four cents had accrued $202.31 in late fees and taxes. Said Aaron Zeff, I think the IRS may have a problem with priorities. And we have some items from the oddball file to go over. 
Starting with the arrest in Austin, Texas of Omar Ramos Lopez. He was charged with a felony for his uh, use of an internet service to remotely disable ignitions and set off car alarms of 100 vehicles sold at his former workplace. Several car owners said they had to call tow trucks and were left stranded at work. Apparently, Omar's dealership installs GPS devices that can prevent cars that were repossessed from starting. And if you're in the market for a new car, there may be a few extra questions you might want to ask the dealership. Something else you may want to do is be careful if you're out in public with an iPod. A man jogging on a South Carolina beach last week was struck and killed by a small airplane making an emergency landing. The people on board the plane walked away, but the, the jogger was killed instantly because apparently he never heard the plane coming with his iPod on. When I was in Hawaii a few years back, I noted that a wonderful little airstrip they had on the big island had to be closed once the Walkman was invented because people were taking their, uh, their jogs out on the runway with headphones on and were thus unaware of aircraft that were trying to descend where they were. Although Mr. McGillan points out that jogging on a runway <laughs> with a Walkman uh, in use uh, may qualify you for a Darwin Award. And, you know, maybe it is time to put horns in aircraft. I don't know. And, folks, don't let this happen to you. Apparently, uh, Tiger Woods' mistress has now revealed the content of the various text messages that were sent between them. According to news sources, some of the messages showed a desire for rough sex. Apparently, porn actress Jocelyn James, upset about uh, the breakup of their relationship, is planning to post about a thousand text messages she says came from Tiger Woods. Tiger, it, it may be time to get out the checkbook. Speaking of mistresses, uh, Jay Leno said recently, uh, in an interview in GQ magazine, John Edwards' mistress said she slept with him on the first day they met. But she wasn't his mistress. She was just playing the role. And apparently the audition went so well, she got the job. And from the Trash Culture file, we have the following. Songwriter and music producer Rob Fusari is suing pop star Lady Gaga, saying she squeezed him out of her lucrative career after he co-wrote some of her songs, came up with her stage name, and helped get her a record deal. News reports described Lady Gaga as a Grammy award-winning performer. So do you have any, any idea which category she won a Grammy in, Mr. McMillan? Now, we don't know. I, I, maybe they give Grammy awards for the funniest hat. And, uh, and anyway, why isn't Rob Fusari in jail for coming up with the name Lady Gaga? Her real name apparently is Stephanie Germanata. And barring unforeseen circumstances, I promise that's the last time we mention her name on this show. And as some follow-up on last week's attempt to bring you Michael Moore, thanks to Richard Estes is making the connection, uh, Mr. Millen and I and Richard were waiting to hook up with Michael Moore last week. And although we were contacted twice to, to let us know he was running late and could we stick around, we agreed. In the end, he never showed up, and we never got an explanation. And further attempts to uh, contact his agent have resulted in uh, no further response. Uh, we find this rather irksome and unprofessional, and probably the, the most unprofessional we've seen anybody behave in 10 years of radio. So uh, I guess we'll have to go ahead and review it and talk about it anyway without him, since we're not likely to get him. And we have to report, sadly, that Capitalism, A Love Story, is without a doubt Michael Moore's weakest effort to date. Didn't do what, that well in the theaters, and probably isn't going to do all that well in DVD sales either. 
We do like his other efforts, however, and uh, do hope that at some future point we'll bring him on the show. If you want to look into what's been going on in this country in terms of our economic meltdown, we would refer you instead to uh, two odd sources, Vanity Fair magazine and Rolling Stone. Pretty sad commentary that uh, those are the places you're going to find some of the best political and economic reporting uh, around, but uh, that's the way of the world. Matt Taibbi's uh, article in Rolling Stone's March 4th edition titled Wall Street's Bailout Hustle is an excellent follow-up on his previous article on Goldman Sachs. It explains a lot of what went on rather brilliantly in terms of con men hustles. Let's do a few quotes. Taibbi started the article by noting that on January 21st of this year, Lloyd Blankenfein of Goldman Sachs left a peculiar voicemail message on the work phones of his employees at Goldman Sachs. Fast becoming America's preeminent Marvel Comics supervillain, the CEO used the call to deploy his secret weapon, a pair of giant nuclear-powered testicles. In his message, Blankenfein addressed his plan to pay out gigantic year-end bonuses amid widespread controversy over Goldman's role in precipitating the global financial crisis. The bank had already set aside a tidy $16.2 billion for salaries and bonuses, meaning each Goldman employee were set to take home an average of $500,000. Still, the troops were worried. There were rumors that Blank Fine, bowing to political pressure, might be forced to scale the number back. After all, the country was broke. 14.8 million Americans were stranded on the unemployment line, and Barack Obama and the Democrats were trying to recover the populist high ground after their whipping in Massachusetts by calling for a bailout tax on banks. Maybe this wasn't the right time for Goldman to be throwing its annual Roman bonus orgy. Not to worry, Blankfein responded to employees. I believe very strongly that performance is the ultimate narrative. Describing in the text of his article uh, the various cons, uh, well, the first one he labeled the swoop and squat, said Taibbi, at the height of the housing boom, Goldman was selling billions in bundled mortgage-backed securities often toxic crap of the no-money-down, no-ID-needed variety of home loan, to various institutional suckers like pensions and insurance companies who frequently thought they were buying investment-grade instruments. At the same time, in a glaring example of the perverse incentives that existed and still exist, Goldman was also betting against those same sets of securities, a practice that one government investigator compared to selling a car with faulty brakes, then buying an insurance policy on the buyer of those cars. Anyway, you're going to have to need, you need to read this one uh, for yourself. Uh, we're going to try and bring Matt Taibbi on this program in the future. We, we may succeed, but uh, in the meantime, check out the article. Rolling Stone, March 4th issue. We finally got around to the Vanity Fair October 09 issue, which also has a fantastic article titled... Good Billions After Bad, which explains uh, somewhat less inflammatory terms than Matt Taibbi of what went down in, uh, in our financial meltdown in September of 08. Noted authors Donald Bartlett and James Steele, describing how Henry Paulson and others set up this uh, tarp pie to be cut for America's banks, said Paulson picked Neil Kashkari, 35-year-old former Goldman Sachs banker, who'd followed Paulson to Treasury when he became secretary. A free market Republican, he had downplayed the gravity of the subprime mortgage crisis only months before his appointment. Reportedly sending the message to one gathering of bankers, there's no problem here. Kashkari and Paulson aides cobbled together the Office of Financial Stability under immense 
time pressure. Noted that in this OFS, there was no internal controls to gauge success or failure. The goal was simply to dispense as much money as possible, as fast as possible. When Treasury began giving billions to the banks, the department had no policies in place to ensure that the banks were using the money in ways that met the purpose of the program. One main purpose was to free up credit, but there was no incentive to lend and nothing to stop a bank from simply sitting on the money, bolstering its balance sheet, and investing in Treasury bills. Which, according to Matt Taibbi, is exactly what they did in many cases. Article explains how a lot of banks that didn't want to take the TARP money were told, you know, uh, we expect to have your application on the secretary's desk at 5 o'clock tomorrow. The application, according to the article, was 24 lines long and asked such tough questions as the name and address of the bank, the name of the primary contact, the amount of its common and preferred stock, and how much money the bank wanted. The case of one bank cited uh, Umqua, Once their application was approved, the Treasury wired $214 million to their account. Anyway, a most worthy article. Vanity Fair, October 09. And just uh, as we close, we would note that um, we think Michael Moore did get right in Capitalism, A Love Story. The fact that uh, what he first described in Roger and Me 20 years ago has uh, shown what the rest of America has done. Looking at back at Roger and me for Larry King, Moore said, General Motors that year made a profit of $4 billion, and yet they laid off another 30,000 people. Now, why would you lay people off when you're making a record profit of $4 billion? I mean, that was totally insane. But they thought, well, you know, we can make a bigger profit. Maybe we can make $4.2 billion if, if we move those jobs to Mexico. So they're always, you know, we can make a little more money if we do this by firing those workers, Larry. They got rid of the very people who buy their cars. I'll tell you, on a personal note, when I go out in the outskirts of Davis and I see uh, what used to be the Hunt Wesson plant, where I spent seven, uh, where I spent six summers working back in college and beyond, it's absolutely startling. The only thing left is a giant slab of concrete, a plant that used to employ hundreds, if not if not thousands, of people every summer, is now just gone. And and where people are getting. Uh, where people are making up the income they used to earn there, I don't know. But, but Michael Moore is certainly right about this. General Motors decided early on, I mean, like back in the 1920s, that it was important that their workers be paid well enough to go out and buy the product that they were making and that they, have enough, that they had enough time off to take their cars out on weekends and go for a drive. Somehow along the way, they forgot about all that. But the odd part about it is to blame all this on, quote, capitalism, unquote, is a bit simplistic. Uh, Moore himself said that the free market, free enterprise, and competition just completely fell apart. So was America let down by capitalism or uh, the failure to institute capitalism? I think that's a legitimate question to ask. If you do wind up taking a look at that DVD, we'd refer you to one of the extras, wherein uh, Michael Moore speaks with Chris Hedges, who we've had on this program. First class investigative uh, journalist who talks about uh, well, that, that very subject. What, what really is to blame here? do want to note in closing that a lot of these articles uh, seem to point out that there hasn't been much reform going on. And a lot of what uh, led us to drive off the road uh, back in 08, uh, well, the same dynamics are in play. A topic we will return to in the future.
Hey guys, Will Durst here with a quote from Otto von Bismarck. Laws are like sausages. It is better not to see them being made. Sausages? Oh, we would have loved to see some sausages. We would have killed for sausages. Any Wisconsin boy can tell you that sausages cooked indirectly over mesquite coals until crispy charred then slathered with stadium sauce nestled in buttered grilled buns with fried onions taste pretty darn yummy. But viewing the Democrat and Republican hot dogs battle each other in their death cage match over healthcare was about as appetizing as mixing snail guts and lizard tripe and cephalopod eyeballs with sour cream and yellow food dye than serving it on a fungus-covered bark chip. And it's still not over. To say the GOP is not taking this defeat lying down is similar to saying that pieces of cast-iron lampposts make for a substandard pillow filling. Senate Republicans have vowed to go down swinging, and they're probably not talking about hiking the Appalachian Trail with each other's wives. Not a single House Republican voted for the health care bill. Not one. That's not a political party. That's the Borg. Resistance is futile. Obviously not content with being known as the party of no, they seem to be aiming for the party of hell no, veering dangerously close to the party of screw you, only because the party of ugly, stupid, mean, and greedy is too complicated for most tea partiers to remember. And you wonder why getting anything done in this country is like trying to shovel sand with a pitchfork. People may mock Obama for his supposed messianic qualities, but his resurrection of healthcare makes the rise of Lazarus look like a third grade magician's trick. Look real close, you can see the scuff marks on the bill's knees from where it climbed out of the morgue drawer. Next, we should see what the president can do with seven loaves and seven fishes. Or better yet, seven loaves and seven sausages. Mmm, sausages. For Radio Parallax, I'm Will Durst. Let's take a short break. Listening to Radio Parallax, I'm Douglas Everett. Got plenty more. Stick around.